In today's world, imagery means more than ever. Photographs, trailers, logos, colors, and more. In a society that is constantly competing for attention, one thing is known. To achieve the highest success, turn the most heads. Upcoming brands know this and have resorted to creative marketing, often utilizing social media to relate to a different audience. In a divisive climate, brands are often expected to speak out against injustices as a way to prove their integrity to the masses. However, speaking out can backfire if the public perceives any kind of statement as inauthentic. This concept of brand activism is a new one, and the psychological effects, as well as the potential for gain and loss, is relatively unknown. What we do know is that brands are expected to interact with their customer base with more frequency and involvement than ever before. As media has evolved, that involvement has taken many different forms. An important aspect to brands is product placement. Product placement is the insertion of brands in television, music videos, and movies, like a prominent shot of a Coke can in your favorite TV show, or the primary use of only Jeep vehicles in a movie. Product placement is supposed to be a subliminal and indirect way of advertising a product or brand. Brands pay thousands to even hundreds of thousands of dollars to have a product placed in a set. For me, one of the most memorable product placement moments is Reese's Pieces in ET. This clearly worked for Hershey as the brand saw a 65% jump in profits after the premiere of ET. However, there are some people who believe that product placement leaves a negative response on the brand. Viewers who are just trying to watch their favorite TV show or are really invested in a movie may get annoyed or feel disrupted. This may cause audiences to have the reverse effect and have adverse feelings towards the product. However, most of the time, the brand insertion is probably ignored if not liked. A common thread among some successful businesses is their ability to connect and relate to their customers. Many brands look to create what is known as brand tribalism. No, not tribalism in the sense of warfare with wooden spears, but in the sense of having a strong rooted love for something. Brand tribes are made up of individuals who don't just use their money to support a brand, but they also believe in what the company does and promotes the brand actively in their lives. Some of these brands connect with their tribes through the use of movements. For example, Patagonia, a clothing company, has a strong mission statement that focuses on ending climate change and supporting the environment as a whole. Because of this strong movement that many people also believe in, they created their own tribe. In a competitive market, finding a tribe is difficult for brands. However, once a strong and trusting alliance is formed with their consumers, companies have a meaningful impact on their buying choices. This can be an integral part of a company's content strategy. One of the other key factors of building a brand is their content strategy and content marketing. Their content strategy will help align the company's goals with the audience's expectations through their online content. After learning how to operate around their audience, the company will then attempt to build. Within content marketing, their company should involve brands that tell stories to attract more customers. This involves needing to have a certain way of creating important content to retain a targeted audience in order to bring in consumer engagement. Engagement begins the minute a potential client sees your business on social media or hears about it through others. The company's success in staying connected with its audience will then create relationships which lead to loyalty from your clients. Loyalty would give the company a platform to take a step further with what they know and experiment with technologies to further create stories. The users will reach out and spread the word about the company brand through social media and other activities which will lure in more clients and secure more deals.
Reporting from the January 2020 edition of Network Security and the Checkpoint Research Institute comes TikTok Dangers, a briefing on growing distrust of the global social media platform. The U.S. government declared TikTok a national data security risk, and the military banned the app on service members' phones. TikTok parent company ByteDance was alerted by the Checkpoint Institute about vulnerabilities that include allowing sensitive data exposure attacks and cross-site request forgery, publishing private videos and spoofing scam messages as though they were from TikTok. The warning sounds amid congressional calls to investigate the ability of disinformation campaigns to leverage the platform to influence the 2020 election. And Chinese firm ByteDance faces mounting scrutiny for their purchase of TikTok in 2018. For more on the subject, here's reporter Tyre Hood. This is Owls at Night. Although it is very popular, TikTok has been in the news and not necessarily for the right reasons. It has been said that the United States is concerned about the app because it poses a security threat. It was first reported by the U.S. Navy that TikTok posed a security threat in the defenses of their network. The Navy also went on to recommend that users of the app check their phones for unusual activity and delete anything that wasn't there before along with the app. The fear is that the app is sharing the data collected from all of its users with the Chinese government. President Donald Trump is in the process now of banning the popular app, stating that he can do it easily with an executive order. TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, has said that they have no affiliation with the Chinese government and that it only stores the United States data in the US and in Singapore. Welcome back to Owls at Night, the podcast. And I'm your host, Lysandra Swaggart. And today we are discussing TikTok. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Specifically, how the platform is increasing health literacy and how China has been doing this. In an analysis done by the Chinese Provincial Health Committees, they talk about how health communication, as they call it, has been making a difference via TikTok. And one of the ways that they're doing this is by making micro videos about the country's state of health. Because TikTok is the biggest platform being used right now, they're helping people understand health-related topics through these micro videos. And we have to sit here and question, does it actually work? The 2020 NFL season begins Thursday, September 10th with Deshaun Watson recently signing a four-year, $160 million extension with the Houston Texans, who will be facing the reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, led by Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes, who inked a record-breaking 10-year, $503 million deal with the Chiefs this past July. The NHL Stanley Cup playoffs resume as the New York Islanders and Tampa Bay Lightning battle in the Eastern Conference Finals, while the Vegas Golden Knights and Dallas Stars pull to see who comes out of the West. An unusual development in the MLB American League as the New York Yankees slip to the A seed as the 16-team postseason tournament is scheduled to begin on September 29th. And in the NBA bubble, the Miami Heat shockingly upset the Milwaukee Bucks, the team with the number one record in the entire NBA. With the recent series loss, Bucks all-star Giannis Antetokounmpo may be eyeing a new team to play for as his contract is set to expire in 2020. 
On Wednesday, the Milwaukee Bucks were expected to participate in their playoff game against the Orlando Magic. This would have been Game 5 for the Bucks, who needed a win to advance to the next round. Yet, unbeknownst to basketball fans across the country, the team had their sights set on something bigger than winning the finals. On August 23rd, in Kenosha, Washington, 29-year-old Jacob Blake was fired at seven times by a police officer leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. Protests quickly swept the area, spreading to other major cities throughout the country. With the unrest in their home state, following a summer of calling for reform over Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, the Bucks decided to take a stand. After discussing it that week in the bubble, the Bucks decided they would not be taking the court, refusing to leave their locker room. The Houston Rockets and Oklahoma City Thunder followed suit. Soon after, the NBA postponed all three games that were supposed to take place that day following through the rest of the week until Friday night. With players assuring that their fight for justice isn't over now that gameplay is resuming, things are still not back to normal for hundreds of stadium workers who have been laid off, some receiving no relief from their teams. Most of America is back to school and work and sports are on television again. Many forget about the thousands of stadium workers still unemployed. With all stadiums empty of fans amid the COVID-19 pandemic, Stadium employees are facing an indefinite layoff and are unsure of what's to come. Some stadiums are providing relief. Unfortunately, not all employees are eligible. As millions have come to find out, unemployment is still not enough to cover the basic necessities like groceries, rent, and bills. Marvin Spratley, a grill cook from Philadelphia, was already struggling to provide for himself and his three kids. Being unemployed has now left him extremely stressed knowing his benefits won't be enough to take care of his family. The Los Angeles Times reported on the situation in March, stating that employees at the Honda Center were paid for the eight events that were supposed to be held that month. Hopefully teams and employees have found a way to continue to provide for these workers during these hard times. Stadium workers are not alone in their struggle. Many college towns have found themselves in a similar struggle to make up for the loss of sports spectators. What happens when sports leave campus? On many college campuses across the country, Sports teams are in limbo or outright suspended. In major college towns, the absence of sports, football in particular, is piling onto their already crumbling local economies. In towns like State College, Pennsylvania, local businesses rely heavily on the tourism created by sporting events. Although Penn State is allowing student-athletes to play football, fans, both students and tourists, will no longer be allowed to attend. With this lack of attendance, even more businesses in the area may see their sales dwindle, staff size reduce, a worst-case scenario, their doors closed for good. In a quote to CBS News from State College's mayor, Ronald Filippelli, the estimated economic hit to this borough may be in the seven figures. Many college towns are in crisis mode. With campuses now reclosing, going strictly to online schooling, one can only imagine how much more economic loss is to come. Just before the pandemic, Philly's restaurant scene was seeing many exciting new additions. I looked at a few establishments featured in a 2019 restaurant review to see how they have now been affected by COVID-19. First is a South Philly bistro called Rouge. In 2019, they temporarily closed for renovations to their indoor dining room. Now that dining room is closed once again, but they are fortunately still in operation offering outdoor dining and takeout. Another highlight is a beer bar in West Philly called Hops. They first opened in April of 2019 and quickly became a hot spot for neighborhood lounging. Due to the pandemic, Hops has been forced to remain completely closed since March. 
As COVID-19 restrictions continue to lift, hopefully we'll see more of these local gems back in the limelight and better than ever. In the meantime, let's go even more local to Temple University's dining halls. A common misconception is that foodborne illnesses are usually associated with negative health outcomes such as morbidity and loss of productivity. To address this, authors Newman, Leon, Reboelido, and Scanlon argue in their peer-reviewed article that socioeconomic status, or SES for short, should be considered when food is produced and sold at a consumer level. Thus, Temple University, where many students of different socioeconomic backgrounds are present, should properly equip their students with both knowledge and the proper treatment when curating meals for their students. Moving forward, I hope we can both learn from our mistakes in the past, as well as create better dining experiences for all students so that we can no longer facilitate these bad food stories in the cafeteria. One way to potentially get rid of these bad food stories is by choosing to cook at home as well. For the past couple of months, my girlfriend has been trying to get me to cook more. I think that a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that we go out to eat a lot less often right now. But she has also been seeing a lot of short recipe videos on Instagram and YouTube. In fact, a 2013 study found that people are becoming far more interested in what they eat and, since they are seeing more things about food on social media, are more likely to try and find out how to prepare their own foods. This is especially true for healthier options in the era of highly specialized diets. Personally, I've been trying to cook more vegetarian meals. Cooking is a great way to cut down on your meat consumption if you're trying to do that, which my girlfriend has been interested in for a while. Veggie fried rice is our latest go-to, which was influenced by a video clip of a chef making it pretty poorly. Seeing a professional mess up makes cooking feel much more approachable for the average person. For all of the home cooks out there, I'm sure we're all aware that a passion for food brings the issue of weight gain, especially over quarantine. The internet is filled with people singing praises about different dieting techniques, such as the popular keto diet. Keto is a low-carb diet which replaces carbs with fats. This puts the body into a state called ketosis, allowing you to burn more fat. The crazy part about this diet to me is that along with avoiding sugars and grains, you're also supposed to avoid fruits and vegetables. So essentially, all you're supposed to eat is meat, eggs, dairy products, fats, and oils. This sounds traditionally unhealthy. So does the keto diet even work? Well, the answer is apparently not. There are various studies, such as one from Welke University in Poland, that show that keto is not an effective dieting strategy for losing weight and reducing body fat. If a diet sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Take what you see online with a grain of salt and just eat what is healthy and appropriate for you. Welcome to the Temple Video Game Podcast, the first of its kind. Today we'll be talking about a range of video game topics, as the title would suggest. Sit tight, stay tuned, and enjoy. In the video game industry, nostalgia is one of the most powerful and popular tools used by developers to sell their games to specific audiences. We see nostalgia used as a marketing tactic in many different genres of media, but in the case of video games, it can be argued that games trigger nostalgic feelings even more than your favorite childhood toys or movies. 
especially because we invest more emotions in playing them. Games involve intense feelings of competitiveness, frustration, joy, and pride. In an article titled, Why Old School is Cool, media scholar Sean Fenty argues that video games are places, they are states of being, and because they are stored, unchanging data, they tease with the hope for a possibility of return, if only we can gain access to them. In other words, returning to these nostalgic video game landscapes might help people feel less anxious about aging or growing older. No matter how well made the game really was, it is more about returning to the feelings you get from playing the game. And although nostalgia allows game developers to rely on the past for sales and audience building, the modern video game industry is anything but dated. When I was a kid, we would sit there and we would play video games. Now, I walk in my house and my younger brothers are watching other people play video games over the internet. It's absurd to me, but people are getting money to do it. Post Malone, the superstar, just invested in an esports team from Texas. Offset of the Migos put money into FaZe Clan. Jack in the Box is sponsoring gaming leagues, for Christ's sakes. Jack in the Box. There's real investments, real money in this esports thing. Kids are mesmerized by it. Twitch is practically throwing money at these people just to play Minecraft for two hours a week. Stadiums are packed out worldwide to watch 25-year-olds play Mortal Kombat. And these people become millionaires, literally millionaires, after one tournament. I mean, this is seen as a real sport, a real way to make a living. And that's a great thing, even if I don't understand it. VR, or virtual reality, is a subgenre of gaming that is allowing developers to innovate the video game industry. In A Glance into the Future, the author goes over how humans have an inherent urge to immerse themselves into a fictional reality, much like the VR experience. Modern technology, like the internet and multi-touch technology, have evolved around the same time as VR. VR has been around since the 1990s, but because of the complex nature of the technology, most advances haven't occurred until today. Companies now are integrating AI into their games. These AI systems are allowing players to compete with virtual opponents that are able to learn the player's gaming tactics. With advancements like this, VR is only continuing to advance, and by the time the technology is more widely used, it will truly be something special. Hey, thanks for tuning in. That was the first Temple Video Games podcast brought to you by my closet. More soon on the next assignment.